0: Hello everybody, come on in, grab your seat, come on in, welcome, happy Sunday morning. I I, heard, I I was hearing people as I walked in, you know, oh no, not the snow, and some people are like, yay, snow, so I don't know which side of the aisle you follow in there, but it's here, it's coming, and it's not holding back. So uh, welcome in, come in, get warm, take your jackets off, uh, stay a while. Um, we're gonna. Today is our Ordinance Sunday, so we have the Lord's Supper today, and a little bit of a different schedule of the service. So we're gonna start with a call to worship as we always do. We're gonna stand up and we're gonna sing together. Christ is enough, uh, and then we'll proceed with the rest of the service. So uh, please stand with me, uh, and let's uh, praise God together this morning. With Christ is enough. All right.
1: is devoted to the observance of the Lord's yeah, table, communion. And since that's not a weekly observance, I always take a little time to explain. I want to ensure that everyone understands what communion is, who can participate, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Communion is a ceremony. It is a rite that we observe in obedience to what Christ has commanded does not serve in any way to get you to heaven. In fact, as we will see, we participate not in order to go to heaven, because, but rather because we are going to heaven. And we do not partake as a means to get there. Communion is a memorial. It's a symbol that reminds us of the work of Jesus Christ. And so, who should participate? It is for those who have trusted Christ as Savior. Now if you do not know what that means, then I would love to explain it to you at a time of your convenience, so please see me afterward or contact me this week, we'll set a time to get together. But in the meantime, we are delighted that one and all are here, and if you have not trusted Christ or you don't know for sure whether you have, then we're glad you're our guest, we encourage you to observe what we do today. Now for those who have trusted Christ as Savior, the Bible gives one other requirement, And that is that we confess sin before we partake of the Lord's table. Now, in a bit, we're going to go to the Lord and we'll have a time to confess any known sin. Now, it may be that we have some sin that we refuse to give up or something that the Lord told us in his word that we're to do, but we're unwilling to obey. In either case, we should take that to the Lord, confess it, and he promises to forgive. Now one matter that is too often overlooked as it relates to our worship really on any Lord's Day, including on Ordinance Sunday like today, is the matter of unresolved interpersonal conflict. Here's what Jesus said. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying that if there is an issue between us and a brother or sister, we should take care of that before we participate in worship, including communion. If you're aware then of Jesus' instructions and you have a conflict that you're just refusing to handle, then I would encourage you not to participate and take care of that issue today. If you've tried to reconcile but the other party refuses, then you're released from any biblical obligation. Or perhaps Jesus' command is something that's new to you, and if that's the case, take the matter to the Lord when we pray, ask for His wisdom, participate in communion if you've trusted Christ as Savior, but address it with that individual this week, perhaps even this afternoon, because it's that important to God. In fact, that includes this interpersonal conflict idea between spouses as well. Can you imagine... People going through these communion services, and I go through these instructions every time we do it, and I say that includes spouses, and all the while being uh, prepared to divorce. It's impossible, isn't it? You would think for a believer. And I say that as a warning it's happened. There are people who've done that. And I say that as a warning to you and us as brothers and sisters don't overlook what we're saying here and what the Lord Jesus Christ says about interpersonal conflict, including between spouses. Now, another matter about which the Lord has commanded us is the issue of baptism. The Bible is clear that those who know Christ as Savior are to follow Him in obedience in baptism, being immersed in water in order to symbolize the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Now, if you're just struggling with what baptism is, or you haven't had occasion to look into it, then if you have trusted Christ as Savior, we invite you to participate as we observe communion today. But you need to make it a point to see me about baptism at our next opportunity, which will be in March this evening at five o'clock. We're going to be baptizing 13 who have come forward to be baptized. But if you have looked into it, but you're just refusing, then that's a sin that needs to be confessed. But you can do that this morning then you can follow up by getting with me and then we can go from there. What about children? Should children participate in the Lord's table? The requirements are the same for children. They need to know Christ as Savior and be willing to be baptized. There's no prescribed age for either communion or baptism in the Bible. We leave it to parents to decide if their children then should participate. So who should be involved in this? It's those who know Christ as Savior and who have confessed known sin In their lives one final item as we did back in June when we observed the Lord's table for the first time in a good while because of COVID we have different packaging for the elements those of you who were here for that will remember that but they're pre-packaged together so each person has their own as opposed to reaching in and getting the bread as it's passed And as you'll see, you have to peel off the top of the package to get to the bread. And then under that, there's another one that you have to peel off, like a kind of coffee creamer, to peel that back for the cup. So hopefully we can do that without any issues when the time comes. I tell you about it now because uh, we've only used these once before. All right, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer now. Perhaps use this as an opportunity to confess any known sin to Him. Let's bow together. God the Father... We thank you for sending God the Son, Jesus, to die for our sin. Because of his offering of himself for us, we delight to offer ourselves to you in gratitude. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of being your children and being able to set aside this time to remember Christ's sacrifice for us. Lord, we readily confess that we are sinners in general and that we each struggle with certain sins in particular. We pray that you will be pleased as we remember with profoundly thankful hearts the death of Jesus on our behalf and that we'll be motivated to recommit ourselves to the service of the one who alone is worthy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, now on uh, Ordinance Sunday during uh, communion, most of you know that we pass the hat, we have two offerings. Normally it's just one offering, but we have two on Ordinance Sunday. We have one toward the beginning of the service that we're going to do now, so if the guys will come forward, we'll do that. And then at the end of the service, we have a second one, and that's for our benevolence fund, a fund that we maintain to meet needs of our congregation as those arise. So I wanted to give you a heads up about that. Now, we have a few ways for you to give. You can give online. Many of our folks uh, do that. I think uh, last I heard, it was about half of our people do that online. Those of you that are still giving by check or cash as we pass the hat, this is an opportunity for you to do that. But for those of you that are guests, do not feel obligated to give. Just pass that to the person next to you, and may the Lord bless you as you give. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at a passage there throughout our service, so you'll need a Bible. These guys have some. They're going to make their way to the back, so get their attention. If you need a Bible, they'll get one of those to you. It's marked for you at Colossians chapter 2, and we want you to keep that Bible. It's our gift to you. Bring it back with you each Lord's Day as we look at God's Word together. So Colossians chapter 2. And verse 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, as we remember the cross work of Christ on this ordinance Sunday, this passage teaches us a few things. The first of which I want to point out is that it it shows us our need for God's grace. And our need is seen in uh, verse 13, which says, you were dead in your sins. You were dead in your sins. This is telling us that our condition was helpless. You see, the Bible teaches that all who come into the world do so spiritually dead, separated from God. Now, when we think of death, we naturally think of physical death. But the Bible teaches that there is spiritual death as well, because the Bible defines death as separation. And so physical death is the separation of the spirit from the body, and spiritual death is the separation of the individual from God. When it says we were dead in our sins, it's saying that we were separated from God spiritually because of sin. You may recall the first sin committed by the human race in the Garden of Eden, God told Adam that he could eat of all the trees in the garden, but of one particular tree in the midst of the garden you may not eat, for, quote, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, we all know the sad story that Adam disobeyed God, and he did eat of the tree. But interestingly, he lived physically for many years after that. In fact, the Bible tells us that he lived to the ripe old age of 930, if you have questions about why people lived so long, talk to me about that uh, some other time. But God said when you eat of it, you will die, yet Adam lived. So how is that? Well, you see, Adam did die the very moment he sinned because death is separation, and Adam was separated spiritually from God. And the Bible teaches that this spiritual death, this separation from God, is passed on to Adam's descendants, to you you. And to me. In fact, the Bible tells us this in Ephesians chapter 2. I've asked Brother David Woolley to read for us. As for you, you were dead in your
0: transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of, us are, all, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath.
1: So that's why I say our condition was helpless. Before coming to Jesus Christ, we were dead in sin, and separation from God meant that we were completely unable to help ourselves. In fact, Jesus said, no one can come to me. Stop and contemplate. Jesus said, no one can come to me. And then he said, unless the Father who sent me draws them. That's the inability, the helplessness. That we had. So we need God's grace because our condition was helpless and because it was hopeless. Verse 13 says this You were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now recall that the physical act of circumcision marked one as part of God's chosen people in the first part of your Bible, what we call the Old Testament. But our sin means that even those who have the physical sign are not by virtue of that God's spiritual children sin means we are not God's people by nature we are outside his family not his children and hopeless unless he intervenes but thankfully that's precisely what the Bible tells us God has done first Peter chapter 2 I've asked brother Glenn crock to read for us once you were not a people but now you are the people of God Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our next song says this, Beneath the cross of Jesus I find a place to stand, and I wonder at such mercy that calls me as I am. For hands that should discard me hold wounds which tell me, Come, beneath the cross of Jesus, My unworthy soul is one. And then it says beneath the cross of Jesus, his family now is my own. Once strangers chasing selfish dreams, now one through grace alone. Let's stand and sing together. So we were helpless and we were hopeless. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story because our passage tells us in verse 13 that while we were in this condition, it says, verse 13, God made us alive with Christ. And that's the way then God applied his grace to us, the grace that we all need. God gave spiritual life to the spiritually dead. Now notice, since our condition was so desperate, the Bible says we were dead in sin, only a resurrection could be the, mem- the remedy. Not religion, not philosophy, not a relatively good life. And when I say only a resurrection, I'm not referring to Jesus' resurrection. It's central to all that follows. But I'm talking about a spiritual resurrection for you. And for, for me. If you're a Christian today, it's because God gave you life when, in fact, you were spiritually dead. Now, many of you grew up in Christian homes, and you don't remember a time when you were far from God. And yet, no matter our upbringing or the lifestyle that we led, we were all in the same condition, in need of the same miracle, to be raised spiritually, to be made alive. As you've heard me say many times over the years, God has no grandchildren. So the fact that you grew up in a Christian home, the fact that you weren't out in the world and you didn't see all of its ravages, nevertheless, you were as much separated from God as anyone else, as was I. And that's why Jesus told a religious man of noble standing before the people, a man who kept all the religious rules. In John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No one, including you, religious ones, jesus says can go to heaven unless he is born again you see there was a birth defect the first time and it was not physical but spiritual we came into the world spiritually dead and nothing less than the work of god on our dead lifeless souls will give us spiritual life so in john chapter three when the bible says jesus says you must be born again Those words, born again, in Greek, literally mean you must be born from above. And so you were born the first time through the normal physical act, but you must be born spiritually from above. In fact, in that same passage, Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So if you are a child of God, it is because the Holy Spirit of God has given you life from above. And remember when he did this, he did this when you were dead. So he raised you spiritually, the miracle of spiritual resurrection. What a marvelous act of grace. And clearly it's not because of anything we have done, because there was nothing in that condition that we, in fact, could do. I've asked Brother Gordon Castellanaro to read of that for us. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons that we do not thank God continually, and we do not show our gratitude by giving our lives in service to Him, do you hear what I, what I say? We don't thank God continually. and We don't give our lives in gratitude, in service to Him. One of the reasons that we don't do those things is because we do not... Think about, we do not meditate on the depths from which God has rescued us. Our next song talks about that. though. It says this, I was blinded by my sin. I had no ears to hear your voice. I did not know your love within. I had no taste for heaven's joys. Then your spirit gave me life. And it opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. Let's stand together and say. the application of God's grace, He has given spiritual life to the spiritually dead, and He has also forgiven us. The last part of verse 13 in Colossians 2 says, He forgave us. Now, God's forgiveness is undeserved. The granting of forgiveness for our sins, like the giving of spiritual life, is a matter of God's grace, and we see that because the word that's translated forgave in verse 13 has the root, the Greek root uh, for grace. In fact, the New Testament scholar Curtis Vaughn says this, the Greek participle translated forgave, built on the root of the word for grace, means literally to grant us a favor. Its use here simply points to divine grace as the root principle in forgiveness. So this means that it's a matter of grace that God forgives us. And if it's a matter of grace, that means God was not obligated. And it also means that we are not obligated to do any work in order to receive it because our doing work to receive it would nullify grace. So if it's by grace, God's not obligated, and then we're not obligated to do work to receive it because then it would not be grace. Now some are familiar with perhaps the concept of penance, in which one does work in order to obtain pardon. But that's contrary to what the Bible teaches. Forgiveness is, by definition, an act of grace, and grace is no longer grace if we do something to obtain it. In fact, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 4 and verse 16, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace. It comes by faith. I've told you many times that the word faith in your New Testament is the word for believing. It comes by believing. It comes by faith so that, for the purpose, that it would be by grace. The Bible regularly uh, contrasts faith, believing, and works, things we do. And that's why the Bible does not call us then to do something, but rather to believe what he did for us. And so in Jesus' parable of the two men who went to the temple to pray, and he said, one would not so much as look to heaven, but simply said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Or the Bible says, he who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says as well, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And Famously, in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible contrasts faith and works. I've asked Spencer Enright to read for us. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So is there, So there is nothing we need do, indeed there is nothing we can do to obtain our forgiveness, And this is seen further because the passage tells us that God's forgiveness for us is not only by grace, but it's complete. The end of verse 13 says, he forgave us all our sins. The Bible teaches that when we come to Jesus, he forgives all our sins, meaning past sins, present and future. If he's forgiving future sins at the time you come to him, then clearly it's not by works that those sins are forgiven, right? Many religions teach that God forgives sin on condition. When you come to Jesus, he forgives all your sins in the past. But then after that, you've made a commitment to clean up your act, and so let's see if you clean up your act well enough. It's kind of the idea. But listen to what the Bible says. In Romans chapter 4, I've asked Brother Brian Kurtz to read for us. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. You get that? His sin will never be counted against him. Thanks be to God. Now this next song that we are going to sing, Complete in Thee, covers the full gamut of all that God has done for us in our salvation. So let's stand, church, and sing together. So Colossians 2 tells us of our need for grace, it tells us of the application of that grace we need, and it also tells us of the triumph of God's grace. This passage teaches that Jesus' death on the cross conquered two things that were against us. The first of those was our sin debt. Verse 14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away nailing it to the cross. Now, I say that on the cross, Jesus paid our uh, sin debt. Now, why do I say that? It says in verse 14 that he has canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. The description in verse 14, as well as in the verses that follow, if you were to read beginning in verse 16 and following, you would find that it's clear that Paul, who wrote this, is speaking of the law that God gave to Moses including the Ten Commandments. He's taken away the charge of this legal indebtedness of the law that God had given to Moses. But the word translated legal indebtedness is one that was used in the New Testament as of an IOU, of a debt. So it's saying that the law is something we're obligated to fulfill like a debt. So it has regulations and penalties for failing to fulfill them. You have the first part of your Bible and you've got the law. Now we think of the law as the Ten Commandments, but the law is much more than that. In fact, there are 613, 613 uh, prohibitions and restrictions uh, and commands in the, in the Old Testament, 613, not just 10. And every person is obligated by God to keep every last one of those. And so, as a result of the fact that we cannot, as we've seen, do that because of our sin, because we're dead in our sin, then we have this debt. It's an IOU that we owe for failing. It's our legal indebtedness. Now, how many of those 613 do you have to break in order to be indebted? Here's what James chapter 2 says. I've asked Brother David Brinkley to read for us. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Well, anybody here in good shape? One point guilty of all of it. And so that's why the Bible can say that this legal indebtedness now applies to every one of us. We tend to look and weigh what people have done wrong, what they've done right. And God says, my perfection, my holiness, my standard of righteousness is such that failure in one part is exactly the same as failure in a million. The distance is still an infinite gulf between you and my holiness. How is that going to be bridged? And so we have this legal indebtedness because of our obligation to the law in our failure to keep it. The law is a debt that has requirements and penalties that we're obligated to And it's described as that which, in verse 14, then stood against us and condemned us. So we have this debt that we owe to fulfill the law against us and condemning us. How is that? How is that debt described that way? It's precisely because we cannot meet the obligation. And so it's constantly against us. It's constantly condemning us. The law stands as a constant reminder of our indebtedness and our inability to pay. And if you don't trust in Jesus, if you're not complete in him as we sound, then the tempter uses that against you regularly to say, look at you, you don't measure up. And guess why he can say that? Because you don't. Because I don't. And so we have this constant indebtedness, and it's brought before us. It is like in your mailbox, if you have have bills. And perhaps sometimes you dread going to the mailbox because of how many are piling up. And, it, and, you, and you feel that sense of angst when you, when, you see those, when you see those bills. How am I going to pay these? Maybe I cannot pay these this month. And biblically, the Bible is saying you've got this indebtedness to God that you can't pay any month, any day, any moment. We have this description in John Bunyan's famous allegory of the Christian life, Pilgrim's Progress. And he has in that allegory, that story, he has the Christian Faithful is his name. And Faithful, you remember, is ascending the hill of difficulty. But as he ascends the hill of difficulty, as he seeks to obey God, he has this, he has this enormous burden, this boulder that he's having to carry uphill. And as every time he makes some progress, there's someone who knocks him back down. That someone who's knocking him back down is Moses. Because that boulder, that burden that he cannot get to the top is the law, the law that came through Moses. And so what did Christ do with our debt? Verse 14. He has taken it away. Thanks be to God. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty that belonged to us For breaking God's law. And the the verbal expression in the phrase, he has taken it away, refers to in New Testament times the custom of taking an IOU, you owed a bill, I owe you something, taking that IOU that has been paid once the debt has been paid and placing an X over it. And that's what Jesus has done. He's placed a big X over what you owed because it's been paid in full. By him and further he has taken it away is written in greek the new testament the, the language your new testament was written in in a tense that emphasizes its ongoing effect that is the debt has been removed so it can never again separate us from god Jesus' death on the cross conquered two things that were against us one was our sin debt that he paid in full The other is, on the cross, Jesus defeated our adversary, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In the Bible, Satan, the title Satan, is used of the devil, of God's opposition, his adversary, and ours. The name Satan means accuser. He attempts, does Satan, to use our inability to meet God's standard to defeat us, to accuse. He attempts to remind us of how short we've fallen of God's holy standard. And therefore, we're told here not only has the standard been met and the debt canceled, but the one who would accuse us of not meeting it has been defeated. This picture here, triumphing over them by his cross, is a picture from Roman battles in New Testament times in which the vanquished army would be led in procession before the people to show their utter defeat and humiliation. You see, you can look at the cross a number of ways, friends. You can look at the cross, and we have the symbol of Christianity behind me here. You can look at that, and you can say that poor, unfortunate soul, Jesus, in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it looks like defeat to the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us, as a matter of fact, that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who believe, it is the power of God. Now why? Because we see that for what the Bible tells us it represented and accomplished. Yes, it paid our sin debt in full and it defeated the enemies of God and the enemies of each of us. So Satan has been defeated, and from a biblical standpoint, the cross represents him being paraded before the world as a defeated foe, and we should always see it that way. Here's what it means with regard to Satan. He's still going at it, (laughs) but Satan is insane. You know they say insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? If anyone's ever been insane, it's Satan. Doing the same thing and he is fighting a battle that has already been won so in your life as he fights the battle against you he's fighting a battle he can't win he'll continue until the end until jesus returns the bible tells us even then with jesus sitting on a throne in jerusalem in his kingdom and ruling with satan bound for a thousand years at the end the bible says he will be loosed for a short season You see how much control God has over Satan? And how Satan has been totally defeated? God defines how long he'll be bound. God defines how long he'll be loosed for a short time. And then when he's loosed, with Jesus sitting on the throne, he still tries to form a rebellion. And of course, he is put down for the final time. What Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago guarantees all of those events in the future. We who were helpless and hopeless are provided a way then to come to God. We who were dead can be made alive and forgiven all our sins. We can live confidently because the enemies that opposed us have been defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ. I mentioned John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and Faithful being knocked down by Moses as he carries this boulder uphill. Faithful was knocked down, but there was another in that story Who overtook the attacker and stopped him from attacking faithful and that one was none other than the lord jesus himself that goes back to the first part of your bible you remember genesis chapter one in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and the bible tells us that he made the man and the woman, in his image. And we were given responsibilities to rule God's world on his behalf. All of these lofty things made in the image of God to reflect him back to him and to rule on his behalf as his vice regents on earth. All of this was given to us. And God said, I just want you to remember though, I'm delegating you all of this marvelous stuff, but I'm still God. And so just to remind you of that, there's this one tree you can't eat of. Just stay away from that, we're good. We know the story. Our first parents failed. In them, we did as as well. And in Genesis chapter 3, God pronounces penalties upon all involved in this drama, upon Adam, upon Eve, upon Satan. And he says to the serpent, Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. I'm going to put war, enmity, hostility between your seed, your offspring, and her offspring. From her offspring, there is going to come one into the human race who is going to be the solution to this problem of sin. And then it says this, thanks be to God, he will crush your head. What was lost by the first Adam has been regained by the second Adam. Jesus obeyed. Where Adam failed by resisting the temptation of Satan do you all remember that the very first thing when Jesus starts his public ministry first thing that happens is Satan tempts him Do you know why because that's what he did to Adam and God is showing that this second Adam who represents beyond himself like Adam did he's going to succeed where the first Adam failed Jesus obeyed where Adam failed by resisting the temptation of Satan, and he obeyed the Father perfectly for the entirety of what is called his humiliation, that is, his entire life on earth, obeying even to the point of death on the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that's above every name. So friends, here's what all that means. Jesus lived the life that we were made to live. And so he was qualified to die the death that we deserve in our place. Now bear that in mind as we stand and sing, Jesus paid it all. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. One of our deacons brother John Weaver is going to thank the Lord for his broken body on our behalf.
2: Father we thank you for this bread that we are about to receive and for the sacrifice that it represents. We thank you for your wisdom that you gave us this reminder of Jesus' life of love and sacrifice and uh, his body that was broken so that we who were once your enemies can be called your friends and and so that you could be both just just and the justifier. So we praise you, Lord, for your great mercy and your love for us. Amen. Amen.
1: Do this in remembrance of me. In the the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. One of our pastors, Pastor Larry Castle, is going to thank the Lord for his shed blood on our behalf. Let's pray.
3: Father, thank you for loving us. We did not deserve your love. We
0: do not deserve your love. But you have lavished your love on us giving us your son, Jesus, and forgiving all our sins in his name. So we thank you for calling us while we were far off so that we are now able to come into your presence because of Jesus. Thank you for bringing us who were strangers, even enemies and rebels, into your family so that we are now your children and heirs with Christ. So we take this cup today that commemorates his shed blood on our behalf and we drink it
1: with profoundly grateful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I mentioned at the beginning that on Ordinance Sunday, when we observe communion during our worship service, that we receive an offering twice, and the first offering is our regular weekly offering that we already received at the beginning of the service, but the last part of these services, we receive a second offering, and the proceeds of this offering go to our benevolence fund, and according to our bylaws, the deacons oversee this benevolence fund, and it is a confidential ministry so that if needs come up within the body they have been authorized by the church to administer these funds to those who are in need as as needed so that's where this offering will go if you are able to uh, contribute so guys if you'll come forward we'll go ahead and receive then that benevolence offering All right the guys are going to go ahead and take that and while they do that i'm going to go through some announcements as quickly as i can at the conclusion of our our service and i will do that if i find my announcements we've got them we have a number of things that are coming up those of you who are guests here today we try to make it easy for you to let us know how we can help you and so you can do that by texting this keyword cbc connect to the number 97,000. You do that, you get a link back, you click on that link, and it opens up all kinds of announcements, avenues for you to communicate to us uh, anything that you would like, a prayer request, an inquiry of of any type. Here are the things that are coming up, though, uh, in the near future and some a little further out. Our second hour today that begins at 11.15, I'm continuing a series called Identity Crisis, Who Does God Say That I Really Am? So I encourage you to be here for that. Uh, It's some helpful material, I can say that, because most of it I didn't write. Uh, We have this afternoon at 5 o'clock our baptism celebration, and this is a milestone, a spiritual milestone in the lives of those who are being baptized, so we celebrate as a church family together. We have a dinner afterwards, so please uh, plan to come at 5 o'clock today for that. Ladies, there are two more heart-to-heart meetings on uh, monday nights uh, before the end of the year the next one is on november the 22nd so that will be a week from tomorrow and then the last one is on december the 13th those are on mondays and those are uh, at 6 p.m our annual ladies christmas social is coming up on friday december the 3rd and for that registration is now open on our website it's open on our church center app uh... for you to let us know that you're coming so we know about food and we have enough spots at the uh... at the tables and there's a table host meeting today so those of you that have volunteered to be table host there's a meeting for you today right after this service is done it's going to be in adult classroom one it's right out those back doors and across the hallway and you don't need to go into the lobby in the cafe community area to get your bagel and coffee and juice uh, we're going to have those refreshments for you in that room, so you can go straight there after we're done and go right into your, your meeting. There are invitations on our Welcome Center desk as well for you to take to invite people to this. It's a great uh, outreach event. Our Adult Christmas Fellowship is going to be on December the 12th at 6 o'clock, so mark your calendars for that, December the 12th at 6 o'clock. And again, you can register for any of this. Uh, if you have any questions about any of it, CBC Connect to 97,000. Our last song was Jesus paid it all. And I said, what was lost by the first Adam was regained by the second. That Jesus obeyed where Adam failed by resisting the temptation of Satan and obeying the father perfectly for the entirety of his humiliation, his life on earth, even to the point of death on the cross. I said, Jesus lived the life we were made to live. And so he was qualified to die the death that we deserve in our place. Now, before we conclude with our last song I would like to add this to that all of that obedience as the perfect man makes him qualified now to return and make his enemies his footstool that return and that triumph would not happen had he not triumphed on the cross and that would have been of no there would have been no triumph on the cross if it was not preceded by a life of full obedience and perfect righteousness. And so because Jesus lived for us and therefore was qualified to die for us, he is also qualified to return and to rule the kingdom for God as we were made to do, and the Bible says we will reign with him. And so this final song says, lifted up was he to die, it is finished was his cry, now in heaven exalted high. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song will sing. Hallelujah, what a savior. Let's stand together.
0: We're going to sing this song acapella the other day,
1: just the voices. So if you're, a,
0: if you're a harmonizer, an alto, a tenor, bass, like we'd love to hear your harmonies ring out. And in the, going into the last verse, we'll do a small key change, but I'll help you all find it. All right? Let's sing this
3: together. Man of sorrows, what a name.
0: our service this morning. Uh, praise God for good worship. And uh, we now have good bagels and refreshments right outside. And we'll come back in here at 1115.
2: So uh, say hello to a friend, make a new friend, and we'll see you back here soon.